Now the reading today is uh, Titus two, chapter 2, 1 to 15. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Uh, Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone anyone despise you. Thank you, Robin. So um, that Bible reading is on your leaflets. So I should have told you that before. On there. So imagine I told you, you have to imagine hard. Imagine I told you I want to become fit and healthy. And there's a bunch of things that fit in with that, aren't there? So, you know, getting a good night's sleep, getting some fresh air every so often. What about eating well? I've been trying to do better. You know, apparently I've learned a packet of fruit chocks doesn't count as one of your five a day. I've been having macadamia milk in my coffee because it's half the calories of milk and it still tastes nice when you dunk your biscuit in it. Um, what about exercise? Eating well, exercise, that goes with being fit and healthy, doesn't it? And, and I've been having a go, going to the gym. I mean, it's hard to find the time to go to a gym or exercise, isn't it? especially when you don't want to. Um, I met up with um, the personal trainer there. You get a freebie every so often. And he said, what, what are your goals for this morning? What are your goals? I said, oh, I don't, maybe not eat anything for the next hour. Um, and you know, you go in the exercise class and you're sweating, your heart rate's up. Uh, you go in there and you think, oh, I'm about to die. And he goes, great, you've got through the warm-up. Now let's get into it. And, oh, no. I'm getting to the point now, I'm doing better. I'm getting to the point where my favourite machine in the gym isn't the vending machine. But there are ways of living that fit in with, that match up with 
being physically healthy. And there are ways of living that fit in with and match up with healthy teaching, healthy doctrine, with knowing the truth about Jesus. And in Titus 2, that Robin's just read for us, the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' eyewitnesses, he's telling Titus, verse 1, teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine, or literally speak what accords with or fits in with healthy teaching. So today's passage, you might have noticed, it starts with a bunch of do's and don'ts and then moves on to the truth, the reason behind us. And, and if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, that might feel a bit the wrong way around because in the last two weeks we've seen it's having faith in Jesus and knowing the truth of the good news about him. That's what leads us to godliness. But what's going on here is Paul has just been showing in chapter 1 Um, how wrong motives and wrong beliefs in something other than the truth about Jesus leads to ungodly, unsatisfying ways of living. And so now he wants to, talked about the rubbish, now he wants to contrast that with what, what Titus is to teach instead. And Titus is to teach ways of living which fit in with, accord with the truth living accordingly so that's uh, in your outline on your leaflets there this is where i had him accordingly brand new you personal trainer grace teaches grace that's where we're heading so there is a sound true healthy set of truths set of doctrines and there are ways to live life according accordingly with them accordingly our first heading so far in Titus, we've seen uh, Paul, he wants these new Christians on the Mediterranean island of Crete to have the right foundations. That is faith in Jesus and knowledge of his gospel. That's what Titus back then in ancient Crete and us here in Woodcroft today, that's what we're building our church on. And last week we saw the practical outworking of this was that we need leaders whose characters line up with are accord with that original gospel and that they're to have the right doctrine, stick to the original plan. And again, we saw doctrine. Doctrine sounds a bit dry and dull, doesn't it? And we, you know, we love Jesus, not doctrine really. But remember, you can't separate the two. Even just saying the name Jesus is speaking doctrine that God saves. So doctrine, it just means knowing, making sure If you've got the right doctrine, you've got the right Jesus, not just one you've made up yourself. And this letter, all the way through Titus, there's brilliant little summaries of Jesus and the good news about him. Little snippets of doctrine. Really helpful things to memorize, actually. So verse 14 is one. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Jesus' death on the cross was him giving himself up for us to redeem us, to pay the penalty for us so that we're freed from the judgment we deserve so that God doesn't hold us to account for our record of wickedness because Jesus makes us pure, belonging to God, eager to do what is good from a thankful heart, not out of fear or pride. So good little summaries of doctrine. This is a sound, healthy doctrine. This is the gospel of grace. It's this Jesus, the real one, who if you put your trust and faith in him, 
saves you for eternal life into good relationship with God that begins today. So having the right doctrine means you're on about the real man, the real God, making you a real offer. And so here in chapter 2, we're seeing Titus is to teach solid, specific behavior that fits with this. So the outworking of this is not an airy-fairy, just an attitude or a posture, not only that, but tangible behaviors in real-life, concrete situations in the home. Because remember, chapter 1, verse 1, this truth about Jesus leads to godliness. The promise of the gospel is a brand new you. That's our second heading, brand new you. The promise of the gospel is, no matter what you've done in the past, nothing can separate you from the love of God when you put your trust in Jesus and your faith in him. So however wicked you've been, Jesus gives you a fresh start with God. However deep your scars, Jesus can heal them. So Jesus, not what he's done, not the hurt you've had done to you, not the hurt you've done to others. Jesus and what he's done becomes what you're about, who you are. Jesus makes everything okay between you and God for eternity. And of course, life has its ups and downs and we fail and we'll keep sinning against God and against people. And we'll never be quite right until Jesus returns. We'll still sin. But when your faith is in Jesus, when you're full of the knowledge of the truth, there is a difference Jesus does make a difference. And that reality breaks into the here and now. It impacts how we live, whatever our circumstances. So this chapter two is about us living lives which fit in with, which accord with the gospel to promote the gospel. Because here's God's strategy to save people and bring them into right relationship with himself. But I don't know what Sam Chan's going to say in his training. But here's God's strategy. It's for Christians, for you and me, to teach the good news about Jesus, to try and persuade people to put their faith in him, and to live good lives, good godly lives, which promote that message to show how good it is. So we'll have a look at the practical examples of this, the foundations for home life in a, in a moment. And we'll see... They're really quite um, high bar, quite tough standards to reach for. So why is these, these, we saw last week, quite high high standards for character of our leaders. Why these high standards for the home? Well, we've got three reasons given here. First, verse five, so that no one will malign the word of God. So that nothing we do puts people off the goodness of Jesus and his gospel. Verse 9, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So that if people are rejecting Jesus and his message of grace, it's not because of us. And if they've got bad stuff to say about us, it's not true. And verse 10, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So that our lives... Make, show the gospel for as good as it is. 
And all of that fits in um, today. Some research done by McCrindle. Uh, they do lots of research about um, faith and spirituality and stuff. This is from 2017. Uh, first slide. The top attractor to Christianity was people who genuinely live out their faith. But the behaviors most likely to prevent unbelievers who are open to change from exploring Christianity. On the second slide. Thanks, Robert. Church abuse, hypocrisy. That's what somebody who's otherwise open to Christianity, that would put them off. So we are to be like the jewelry or makeup on a beautiful model. Like we aren't what makes the gospel beautiful, but we emphasize, we point out, we adorn that beauty. So in other words, we're to be both the messengers of the gospel, tell people the good news about Jesus, and our lives be like the promotional material for the gospel as well. Okay, so let's have a look at the, the true foundations for home life that Titus is to teach to help us demonstrate and promote the gospel. I say home life, I think it's church life as well. But just before we get into it, remember with any list of do's or don'ts that we find in the Bible, just don't forget we come to them from a position of God's grace. As though we'd kept all of this perfectly. Because Jesus has kept it perfectly for us. And so passages like this, we allow them to convict us and point us in the right direction. But we don't, um, we don't want to leave here today despairing with guilt. Because that won't lead to godliness. That won't grow you. So remember grace. So here's the headline which summarizes verses 2 to 10. Self-control. So first, older men and women. Titus 2, verses 2 and 3. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. So for Titus in ancient Crete, older probably meant about 40 or above. So that makes me an oldie. In our culture, we're probably, I don't know, retirees maybe. And I've noticed a particular kind of retiree in Australia, not, not here, not in our church, but in Australia generally. There was one, we go to hol- on holiday to Wallaroo every January, and um, you see a few there. There was one I saw recently, a permanent resident on the holiday park, and he went fishing every day. It wasn't so much that he went fishing every day. It's the way he went fishing every day. You know, with that kind of smug look on his face, kind of that attitude of, I've done my bit. I've worked hard, now I'm checking out of looking after anyone but me. I've gone fishing. An attitude of sort of treating life itself like it's a job from which you've earned your paid leave and now you're taking it easy, thanks very much, it's party time. Well, what fits with sound doctrine is not that. It's another kind of retirement. Being an example for younger people, proactively teaching younger people what it means to stay solid in belief, to love 
to endure, to be reverent, to show and teach what is good, to pass on this sound doctrine and the life that goes with it. So I think the way to put this into practice is, uh, don't worry about the categories of old, young, whatever. Whatever age you are, think about one up, one down. That is, find someone more mature in the faith than you to learn from. Maybe ask them to mentor you, to learn from the Bible and learn from their life. And also look for someone younger in the faith than you are, who you could in turn be mentoring. Verse 4, then they can urge the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Um, Notice there aren't instructions here for single women, uh, probably because in Cretan culture at that time, there weren't any. You were married off when you became of age. So Paul's not really commenting on that. But we've got to be really careful about not reading our post-industrial revolution culture into ancient Crete, haven't we? The idea here is not 50s Australia, women stay at home to to raise the children and must not go to work. Because in ancient Crete, uh, your home really was where you did work to bring income in. That was done from home. So the the idea here is to be a home lover. So... uh, that is not forever looking to be somewhere else away from your family. There's something better than life at home. So it's, the picture is for husbands and wives in whatever work and child care arrangements you have to be working together as one unit, pulling in the same direction together. Wives to be, teach wives to be subject to their husbands. That isn't about being subject to an autocratic dominant boss it means subjecting to the husband's role of putting his wife first and laying his life down for her for whatever's best for her so subjecting to that sounds all right doesn't it verse six similarly encourage the young men to be self-controlled which is the opposite, if you think about it, of the wisdom of the world, which says, oh, look, young people are young people. You know, they need to get it all out of their system. They need to try it all on for size. Sow your wild oats, no regrets. Well, the truth is, not that. The truth is that self-control is good news for young people. And that it's possible. Don't shrink your life down to being just about what you enjoy, just what you feel like doing, what the world tells you to live for. Seek to learn from others' example, from those older than you, living for Jesus. Don't just entertain or distract yourself through life with sport or work or computer games. Make your life about loving God, about loving his people, about loving your family. Last example, slaves. So not people stolen for forced labor, more like, uh, probably more like working as an intern to pay off your graduate loan, if, if that makes sense. It's not the kind of African-American slavery. But, so help, more helpful to think of us as workers. Workers, 
Work hard, be honest and respectful so your employer will think. You know that Christian person at work? They're a bit weird, but people like them. And they're a really good worker. And they practice what they preach. Uh, Sam Chan, who's come in with CBF, City Bible Forum, um, he reckons in our culture, the question people have about belief is not so much, is it true, but more, does it work? Does it work? And people will work that out from our lives. The other thing to point out is, did you notice the family nature of all of this? Paul's assumption is that churches are going to be made up of all different ages and stages and situations in life. And I recognize it can be harder to be part of a church like ours, where in many cases, you're the only one like you. So, for example, Sharon and I are the only ones our age. But this church is also full of Christians. And that means we're called to, not to isolate from people because they're a different age or stage or situation to us, but to do life with them. Because what's, what we have in, is the most important thing in common. What's most important about it is, is what we have in common. The faith and knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. But as I say, all this is a high bar, isn't it? How do we get this godliness? How do we get this godliness? We need a personal trainer. And our personal trainer is grace. Grace is our personal trainer. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Grace has appeared already in history in the person of Jesus. His free gift of forgiveness for all our wickedness. Eternal good relationship with God in God's perfect place. We've seen grace in the past. Grace will appear more fully once and for all in the future. Verse 13. We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the middle of those two verses, verse 12, this grace, that's what teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace teaches us. Teaches there means to train, to discipline, to coach over a period of time. You must let the gospel of grace argue with you. You must let the gospel of grace get you to do what you don't want to do. To show you that Jesus is always better. So back to the gym. Uh, So I got this session with a personal trainer. And this young bloke showed me how to use some of the free weights and the machines. I allowed him to train me. um, To show me the right techniques to avoid injury. And on the day, (laughs) it was pretty good. Felt all right. I could do this. But the next day, my body was having a severe argument with the exercise that I had gone through. It was protesting in the strongest terms. Everything was aching. 
But I suppose in the long term, if I kept letting those weights, that exercise, argue with my body, that initial difficulty experience would result in me being stronger and fitter. And in our sinful nature, we'll keep finding that the gospel and the saying no that goes with it rubs up the wrong way against us. It'll be hard sometimes, but we must let grace train us. Because there are lots of ways we can say no to ungodly passions. We can say no out of fear. You know, we could, we could, I could preach and we could run church like a, an army parade where you're inspected for how far out of line you've gone this week and made to feel guilty about it. So then you just say no in order not to feel guilty and, and not get punished. Or we can say no to ungodly things out of pride. Oh, I'm a good person. I don't do that kind of thing. I'm not like them. Or I could present to you each week a compelling picture of just how great and blessed and victorious life will be. If only you say no to ungodliness, you'll be healthy and wealthy. But all of that boils down to saying no for self-serving reasons. Whereas grace trains us to say no to ungodliness from a lot less wobbly place. Here's three ways grace trains us to say no to ungodliness and yes to living godly lives in this present age. First, grace shows us the emptiness and the shallowness of sin. I mean, imagine living in that community on Crete that had submitted to Titus's teaching. It would be welcoming, it'd be secure, it'd be steady, it'd be nurturing, it'd be lots of fun. Whereas those following the false teaching and sin have disrupted whole households. Sin promises much, but in the end it's always selfish, always done out of fear or pride, and so it never delivers. Grace tells us, I can't be proud. I'm so bad, Jesus needed to die on a cross for me. But grace always get, also gets rid of our fear. Jesus loves and values me so much, he was prepared to give himself up for me on the cross. He's done everything to make me right with God. Grace shows us the emptiness and shallowness of sin. Grace shows us the depths of Jesus' love for us, which captivates our hearts so that we want to grow in godliness in response. So if you imagine our hearts are made of metal, okay, and we can sort of hammer it and bend it and bang it into shape temporarily uh, with fear of punishment or the promise of a better life. But once the pressure or the heat of life is applied, it will just bend back to its natural bent. But grace, on the other hand, melts our hearts so that we're born again and with God's spirit filling us, we're permanently reshaped, remolded, reorientated. That's why now our sinfulness bothers us that's why we want to be godly even though it's hard that's why we find godliness 
more of a deep-seated joy because it fits with the grace that we've been remolded by. And thirdly, grace trains us in godliness because it's one of the things that we're saved for. Good thing to do as you read the New Testament is keep asking, what are we saved for? We know we're saved from sin. What are we saved for? Verse 14, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. We're saved to belong to Jesus and we're saved to be eager to do what is good. We've been bought, whole kit and caboodle, from our slavery to wickedness incorporated. And now we're on the family board of directors in God's grace company to do his company's business, living lives which glorify and point to him. So grace trains us. Showing us the emptiness of sin. Showing us the depths of Jesus' love for us. Showing us what we're saved for. Grace trains us. And so Titus's job, our job to each other as we grow our church, the foundations we're on, our job is to teach grace because grace teaches. Grace teaches grace. Our last point, just briefly. It boils down to this. Who are you? What's the most significant thing to have happened in your life that shapes who you are? If your faith is in Jesus, the thing that has already happened of greatest influence is the grace that has appeared in him. And the most significant thing in your future is the grace that will appear at his return. So really, we're just the filling in a grace sandwich. Letting that past and that future and our present reality train us, argue with us in how we live life. So to think of it negatively for a moment, if you're struggling with sin, if you're going off the rails... If you're doubting these restrictions of a godly life are worth it, could that be because you've forgotten grace? Because there's no joy in obeying God out of fear or out of pride. But live for him because he lived and died for you. Because Jesus and the good news about him is always the better answer will always meet your desires and longings better. Let grace train you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the grace we have in Jesus. Thank you for his work for us on the cross. Thank you for his sacrifice, for him making us right with you. And we pray you'll even today... Help us to wrestle with what we need to say no to and what we need to say yes to. Please forgive us just an ever deeper appreciation of the good news about Jesus, about your grace to us and growing us that desire to live godly lives. Help us to look out for one another here. Help us to um, obey these words here for our age and stage of life. 
and be an encouragement to one another. Amen.